Hello and welcome to the Run by Nature Club podcast. I'm your host, Bryna, and this is the fitness and fashion podcast that doesn't leave anybody on the bench. Uh, from your workout to your wardrobe, moving your body shouldn't be a chore. So I'm joined by expert guests to help you create sustainable habits. And I'm really happy to be joined today by Ross. I put up all my stories today. I think it was around 2013-ish where we first met. Mm. And then almost 10 years later, we find ourselves on a podcast together. Thank you ever so much for joining me today, Ross. Would you like to introduce yourself and just give the listeners a bit of a background about you and what you're up to today? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, um, a little while back at the good old University of Bedfordshire, uh, of all places, coming to talk to the students, so an, an ex-student, um, and, and yeah, trying to hopefully um, try and inspire them uh, to pursue certain careers uh, within sports science. So at the time, so I suppose, yeah, founder of Honora Health um, is my uh, business. Um, I've, I've done a couple of things throughout my career. So I, I studied sports science at the University of Bedfordshire and then additional qualifications in performance nutrition and uh, went on to then um, work for a laboratory called um, HFL or LGC. And I, actually, I was a graduate scientist. So I was brought into the business to actually test sweat and saliva um, to profile kind of athletes' um, progress around um, training and then an analyzing sweat to help them choose hydration products that are suited to what they lost in their sweat. Um, that service didn't take off, um, but the laboratory also tested sports nutrition products for drugs. Um, so, as we know, athletes, um, yes, there are athletes that do take drugs, but there's athletes that accidentally fail drugs tests through what they ingest in sports nutrition. So, there are sometimes steroids present in uh, protein powders and pills and capsules and various other stimulants and beta blockers and those sorts of things. So we screened um, products of, under a, a Kitemark certification program called Informed Sport um, just to provide assurances to athletes to make sure that they reduce the risk of inadvertent doping. We couldn't remove it because the WADA list is open-ended, so that's the World Anti-Doping Authority, their list is open-ended. Um, but uh, I was there for nine years. Um, with various hats as a, as a scientist all the way through to business development, looking after the program across UK, Europe, South Africa and India. And uh, in that time also launched my business, Sahanora Health, which is a fermented foods business. So I make kombucha and water kefir. And um, that's been going probably for about six years now. Um, so nicely organically growing. Um, I'm a breathwork instructor, cold water enthusiast, uh, played multiple sports. So I, I try and do everything or uh, that, that, that's me in a nutshell kind of thing. Yeah, you've definitely got a really impressive and diverse CV and we were talking a little bit before we press record, weren't we, about this sort of segmented lifestyle and multiple passions and yeah. different identities and not putting ourselves into a box and I really like that. Yeah, definitely. I, d I think uh, as a society we love to define people. You are a particular thing but in actual fact you don't have to be that. You can kind of break free of that and pursue whatever your heart's desire um, of course and, and I highly encourage because we do um, our life on this planet is really short and, and ultimately it's all about having fun um, and getting the most out of it to be honest. Mm. Well we're going to touch on lots of the, the different elements you spoke about there in terms of you as a founder with Honora Health, your breath work and you know, recently qualified in that area and also the, the cold water swimming that you um, have done for quite a while now and maybe how those interlink um, and also in terms of the sort of supplements the food industry you obviously have that background and knowledge of the, the potential for contaminations for substances ending up in products that either weren't on the ingredients list or products being on the ingredients list that don't actually end up then being in that product and and for people listening who are interested in you know, fitness and in health and in well-being. We're constantly bombarded now, aren't we, via social media, with influencers, mm. with adverts, with fitness professionals, in inverted commas, trying to sell us or market us a new product, it seems like, almost weekly. And, and you know, they're trending on, on TikTok. I think the most recent one that I never thought I would say out loud was um, uh, <laughs> Kourtney Kard Kardashian and the Vagina gummies which you know is certainly <laughs> an interesting <laughs> product to be marketing um to people mm -hmm. how 
what are your tips and how can people understand and know like whether something is going to be one beneficial for them but two even safe for them to consume yeah it, it is a really tough one um because there's not as many regulations in place for supplementation or nutritional products in comparison to say drugs um and um Informed Sport was, was actually set up, obviously, to provide assurances around specific contamination of, of steroid stimulants, beta blockers, the rest of the, most, most of the wider list, to, to prevent that inadvertent doping. But um, I always recall a quote from Ron Morn. I don't know mm -hmm. if you know Professor Ron Morn. He says, if, it's wor if it works, it's probably bad yes. <laughs> when it comes around to supplementation. So first and foremost, it, it's food most of the time, not all of the time. Um, so I think there's certain aspects where nutritional supplements can help. So things like protein, things like omegas, um, things like creatine, we know that nitrates improve um, or lower the metabolic cost of exercise, so beetroot juice. Um, but when, when there's these outlandish claims like, oh, we'll, we'll drop X amount of fat from you, and that's where we've seen some real um, horrible cases of people actually consuming, I think it was DMP, and, and ultimately that's uh, something that will, it, it heats you up from the inside out and people have died consuming it, which is, which is bonkers. Um, and I, so I think when it's too good to be true, that's where you've got to say, surely this isn't right. Um, but I think more and more there's, there's more certifications coming out in insurance programs because I know Inform Sport, for example, have, have recently launched Inform Protein. Mm -hmm. And um, that's looking at um, the quality of the protein because there's really um, interesting ways of analyzing protein. And one of them is a Dumar test and that just looks at nitrogen content. And so what they were doing was um, just topping up the protein product with um, nitrogen containing compounds. So it looks like it had a higher nitrogen content and therefore a, a better quality protein. Um, so there's ways and means around that. So now there's programs coming out to provide assurances that this is what it says on the tin. Uh, and within Informed Sport, they also make sure that there's nutritional analysis mm -hmm. and ingredient testing. I suppose what's also difficult is a lot of the industry is served by third, third parties. So you'll go to a manufacturer and go, can you produce this product for me? And they may be producing pharmaceutical drugs and that's where the contamination happens. So they'll produce a particular pill that going into ph pharmaceuticals, which is fine, obviously, for, for a drug, but for a professional athlete, if they don't clean down that equipment properly, that's where the contamination happens. And unbeknown to you, you're consuming a product that you think is safe, and on the tin it says, but because that, that clean down hasn't occurred, it ends up in the product, and therefore a drugs test failure um, occurs off the back of that. So it is a murky word, it is a hot, like, it, it's difficult to navigate, but to be honest, I think first and foremost, diet is imperative. So nail your diet and then only do you kind of sprinkle the, the next bits on top of that. So if you can't get enough protein in, a protein powder is beneficial. If you're not eating two portions of fish a week, then omega-3s omega or, um, and there's also vegan-based omega-3s if you're plant-based, um, yeah. so made from algae, um, those sorts of things. Creatine is good for power athletes. Um, there is some more information coming out around brain health around creatine um, vitamin d of course you guys don't suffer with uh, the lack of sunshine where you are but within the northern hemisphere we can only synthesize that for six months of the year um, and so even the nhs recommends supplementation um, particularly in the winter months but i think it's an integral um, um, vitamin to be consumed probably most of the year um, because it has benefits around bone health uh, muscle health as well as various other things um, so it's, it's, it's tough, but I think most, mostly it's, let's focus on the diet first and where there are maybe some deficiencies, then bring in, bring in some supplements to help with that. Sound advice, and it doesn't sound quite as sexy, does it, as the no, clickbait, so. you know, <laughs> obviously not saying that, Ross, but, you know, it, <laughs> I'm sure we could market it to, um, to get a bit more clickbaity, but... That, unfortunately, that's sure. you know, that's how people are trying to trying to sell it, aren't they? As you said, with that kind of drastic transformation, and if it sounds too good to mm -hmm. be true, then it usually isn't. Interesting, you said there about the vitamin D. Um, having moved to Qatar you know, seven and a half years ago, it certainly was something that I then didn't have to supplement my diet with in terms of the vitamin D. But I was really quite surprised, maybe naively, that when I moved here, I didn't realise that actually there was a vitamin D epidemic across the 
local population, uh, being Muslim um, and obviously dressing more modestly and covering up, um, that, that actually you know, the, the sites of the absorption from the sun was, um, was covered. Um, and a lot of the time it was also to do with the air quality. You know, you think about sometimes if it's dusty, if the winds are, are picking up and you, know, you soon get that, that kind of sand really in the atmosphere, then it's obviously a bit harder for us to absorb it from the sun. So a lot of people do actually supplement their diet here with, uh, with vitamin D. Okay. Right. And because it's so hot, you guys spend a lot of time indoors yeah. as well. So that's something else. Exactly. Um, struggle with. But yeah, in general, I think vitamin D across the globe is, is something that, that lacks. We are seeing a resurgence in rickets and, and those sorts of things, which is, which is crazy, to be fair. Yeah. And as you said, always recommending getting that vitamin D, if you can, from an informed sport, informed choice um, provider. And, and the labelling is very clear now, isn't it? It's, it's quite easy to navigate. You can go to the website and brands are... Are showcasing that they have got this certification. Yeah, yeah they do. Um, proudly put it on there, that's for sure, because it does cost a lot of money. <laughs> you mentioned there the manufacturing process, and that's actually something that I still take from you know those lectures that you came in to do back in the day at University of Bedfordshire, because I, I do teach um, one course um, around um, sport and exercise nutrition and supplements. And I do have the Professor Ron Morton quote in there, and I still talk about the, the mass spectrometry and the, the machine and the, you know, the billion nanoparticles that could potentially be detected and therefore obviously um, cause a, an inverted doping um, test, positive test. Um, you are the, the founder and also the manufacturer of your own uh, kombucha and also uh, water kefir and a couple of other products that you have via um, Hanara Health. So obviously, if, as that's your background, I'm sure you are extremely clinical in your, in your process. Um, how did you kind of learn about the requirements of the manufacturing for those products? Uh, it's a little bit of trial and error, to be honest. Um, so uh, I had Hanora f uh, formulated for about a year before I actually started making kombucha. So my original venture wanted to be within plant-based proteins in a recyclable uh, cardboard-based packaging. Um, I didn't have the financial um, means to kind of get it off the ground, and it was probably going to cost me circa £10,000 to buy the stock in the packaging. Um, so it kind of, for me, felt like a no-go um, to begin with. And then I travelled to the States and discovered kombucha. Um, that's fortunate of me. My job took me around the world. I then saw it in South Africa and in Australia, and I came back, and at the time, there were a handful of, of brands making kombucha in the UK. And um, that got me really excited and, and wanted to explore more. So um, a lot of internet searching, and then just purchased my first um, starter uh, of kombucha, and then just started experimenting, really, in two-liter pickling jars, um, and kind of trying different teas, trying different sugars. My first few batches were horrendous. <laughs> Um, friends and family are far too um, kind. I wish they were probably a bit more upfront with me because um, I actually took some of those samples to shops and that kind of ruined opportunities, which is which is fine. But um, finally, kind of got to a scale that I could go to an event. But but when you when you go to particularly say within Wiltshire or County within England, um, you you register locally with with the council. So I approached Wiltshire Council. Um, you've got to have a HACCP plan, so it has hazard. Um, hazard and contamination plan basically so physical objects chemical objects and you have to have regular testing performed nutritionally wise um, and also bacteria wise um, obviously bacteria that are harmful rather than beneficial and and they they say oh we'll take these two cans when they first um, visit you or two bottles they send them all for testing so they have um, they're happy with what you have and then they come and audit you on a semi-regular basis so if they are happy with you, typically it's not a yearly thing, it's maybe every two years, but if there were things that they want to see improve, they come every year um, and you're on their database and you typically get a, a food grading um, from one to five, five being really good, one obviously being really poor. And whenever you go to any events, most events ask to see that, so they make sure that you're registered and those sorts of things. And, and just gradually, um, Kind of, I've improved my processes by talking to local beer breweries because I found it really difficult to talk to other kombucha brands. They've been really secretive, 
um, not willing to help. Um, I actually traveled to Germany to talk to a brand and see how they did their, their process. Um, but most of the UK brands I've tried to talk to go, it's a bit of a closed book, which has been interesting mm -hmm. and, and, and difficult because it's still in its infancy here in the UK. Um, and, and there's enough room for everyone, in my opinion. And the more we grow a category, the better it is for everyone. Um, so that's been that's been interesting. Um, I haven't reached out to any more brands since that. That was at the exception. Someone actually turned around and said to me, if you don't have unless you have three hundred thousand pounds collecting dust, I wouldn't bother was his uh, his response to an email to come and see his setup, <laughs> um, which which was an interesting response. Um, I must admit, uh, unfortunately, that brand has now folded. So I don't know if his attitude or uh, what happened kind of there, but um, it's a shame to see that disappear. Um, it is a tough industry, drinks in particular. It's all about volumes, low costs, um, and I'm trying to make a premium product that is that is that's expensive, um, particularly with the cost of living. It's it's hard graft um, kind of thing, and I handle everything um, from brewing to transferring to canning to labeling. It's all it's all done by me. It's a lot being a solo founder, you know, having to wear all of those different hats. And even if you're super passionate about it and you've got a really strong why for running your business, the, it always ebbs and flows, doesn't it? And there's, there's days in which you do sort of question why on oh, earth yeah. you made that decision to, to start this business. But, you know, you know sure. so hats off to you, definitely. I know, I know what it's like. Obviously not, you know, beverages, but just being a, you know, a founder and trying to run a brand. For anybody who doesn't actually know what you know, kombucha is, or maybe they've heard of the word, they've seen it. Could you just explain exactly uh, what it is, how it's made, and then what are the benefits? Yeah, of course. So kombucha is um, a fermented tea beverage. Um, you can make kombucha from, from other things that you can steep, but traditionally it is, it is a tea base. Um, so what you do is, is you, you make a sweetened tea, so typically with sugar, and you can use either white, green, or black tea. Obviously, teas have different taste profiles, so you can, can, can get experimental there. I use a combination of a white and a green tea, a nice kind of mellow sweet taste, um, to be honest. And um, what happens is I'll make a big batch of tea um, with a bit of sugar in, and then I'll get a mature batch of kombucha, which contains, so we call that like a starter or a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. You add that to drop the pH, um, and then the bacteria and yeast then start feeding off the sugars and it, it renders a low, a low sugar drink full of um, organic acids, bacteria. You've also got the polyphenols from the tea. Um, and then <clears throat> from there I flavor with um, different fruits. So I've got three flavors. I've got a pineapple, a pink lemonade, which is a strawberries, thyme and lemon, and then a ginger and lemon. So flavor in a secondary ferment with, with flavors. You don't have to um, if you just want to stick with the tea base. Um, and then from there that fruit's removed and then I, I put it uh, into my bright shank and transfer it into cans. Um, so it's a functional beverage. A lot of people use it to kind of replace alcohol um, because it's nice and complex, low in sugar, um, and it has beneficial bacteria, enzymes, and um, kind of vitamins, and as well as the polyphenols that help with gut health. I wouldn't say it's an elixir. Some people say oh, it cured me of cancer. Um, but when I'm talking about diet in particular, it's it's a one component in 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 your day, so it's nice to have it every now and then, um, but it's not going to kind of change change your world. Um, it's what else are you doing in that day? So what is your breakfast, your lunch, and supper? What movement are you doing? Um, and that's why kind of Hanora exists is because of the fact that it's fitness is is all encompassing for me. Um, to be fair. Um, so, so it's a fermented food, and we know fermented foods improve the, the diversity of the microbiome, and we're starting to understand that the gut is imperative to our health. Um, yeah, it's, it's great to see, isn't it, that educational piece around gut health and a bit more mm. accessibility in terms of people understanding what the gut microbiome is, what gut, gut health is. You know, with One of the good sides of social media, I think, is actually researchers individuals with PhDs um, and yeah. you know nutrition dietitians genuinely qualified and able to speak on those topics as experts actually making that information really I was going to say digestible but obviously that would have been a bit of a pun because we're talking about the gut <laughs> but you know breaking it down and making it really easy to consume for individuals and you know providing them with examples of how they can 
get these foods uh, and, the, and the bacteria into their diet. So if somebody was interested in you know, uh, kombucha, like, is, is there a recommended like, amount that you should be taking? You mentioned there it's something to have maybe every now and again. Like, what would your recommendation be there or is there none? Um, so some people might, um, if, if, if they've never had fermented drinks in, the, in their diet, could, could kind of, I would slowly introduce it. Um, but, but to be honest, I've got, I've got customers that drink a can a night or a can a day. Um, kind of thing, but it, but I would, I wouldn't solely just bank on that. I would try and bring other things in. So, probably three three hundred mils, because or three thirty mils a day is is fine. You can drink above that. There's probably no harm in that. Um, but um, it's it it really is it, it dependent on the individual, particularly if they've not had it. Obviously, considering pregnancy, it's live bacteria. Um, so if you've not had it before you're pregnant, maybe wait until you're after, uh, after you've had your baby and, and those sorts of things because we don't know the impact. And that's the same with like soft cheeses and, mm. and that sort of thing. So um, I think 300 mils a day is, 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 is adequate, um, to be fair. Um, you can go above that. I know in the States, actually, they've made it alcoholic. Um, so they go up to 8% ABV, which is, which is crazy. So that goes through another step of adding yeast and more sugar to drive, drive the alcohol content up. Um, and yeah, kind of, they sell them in much bigger cans in the, in the States as well. Um, um, interestingly. Oh, I never knew that. Not something I'd, I'd seen. A, a, a healthy alcohol. Yeah. It's a bit of an oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, trust America to be the ones that come up with that. Sorry to any American I think um, um, I think we'll see a trend of, of that coming into the UK as well. I've experimented a little bit with it, but I've not managed to get the alcohol above, I think it's one and a half, my first experiment um, kind of thing. So you need to get a yeast that is that can cope with a, a tough environment because it's an acidic environment. So it's not like a beer um, where it's, it's nice and cosy to begin mm -hmm. with, whereas you're putting it into an acidic environment that has to survive that and thrive to be able to then produce alcohol. Um, so it's so it's a learning curve there. Interesting. Do you feel like Dexter's lab sometimes? <laughs> a little bit. I mean, so because I get excited about some other ferments, I'm like, oh, there's tapachi, which is a, a pineapple ferment, and there's hibiscus soda, which is made just with hibiscus flowers and a bit of sugar and some water. And I'm like, oh, let's try these. And um, yeah, so it's it's good fun being able to do that. Mm. How long does the process take? Um, Good question. So it depends on the size of the vessel, um, but it typically, um, I would say, if you're producing about a liter, seven to ten days, but temperature is critical to the whole fermentation process because that gives the energy to the yeast and bacteria. Um, so um, I think a seven to ten days is fine within a liter. Sometimes mine have taken up to four weeks because it's been quite chilly this winter. I try. I have a fermentation chamber where the temperatures try to try. I try to keep it constant. Um, there's a few holes in it, so it's not very uh, airtight. Um, so there's me trying to kind of uh, botch up over the winter and, and put blankets over it to try and keep that temperature. But um, so, yeah, from a small a small vessel like that would be kind of seven to ten days, but a bigger vessel would would t typically take. I think in the summer it was taking me probably about two weeks, two to three weeks to make a batch. Um, and uh, just recently it's, it's been up to four weeks just because it's a bit slower, that's all. Um, but the higher the temperature, the more acidic it gets um, and therefore potentially not as enjoyable. So I try and make mine a little bit more accessible. Fermenting at a lower temperature means there's longer ferment, but I feel it's much more smoother, much more enjoyable. I'm trying to compete with a sugary soft drink. Um, so I want people to want to drink it rather than hold their nose and go, oh, this is good for me kind of thing. Um, so, but of course, there's kombucha enthusiasts that love the sour stuff, but not everyone is 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 of that ilk. Yeah, I like it, but then I like green teas and okay. you know, quite soury tastes. I guess I have that. Sure. I like that palate, but yeah, so I really enjoy it, and I probably would choose a more soured version than a, than a sweeter one. Fair. Well, the the great news you can make it yourself at home. And so that really t suits everyone's taste profile then. If you like it a little bit sweeter, mm -hmm. you can bring it off a little bit earlier. If you like it really tart, you can leave it to ferment for a lot longer. Um, and so those, that's really cool about making it at home, to be honest. And you showed to the camera um, 
about 60 seconds ago, you've got an actual vessel, haven't you? That's yeah, so, well, they sometimes call it a SCOBY hotel. So you can see there's like loads of lines. So that's effectively, I call it a pellicle. So it forms every time you make a new batch. Um, it's not essential to make kombucha. The, the essential bit is the starter liquid, so a mature batch of kombucha because that drops the pH, prevents mold from forming. Um, and then basically it then reforms one on the top every time. So that's several times that it has made a new one. Um, it's a fascinating beverage. Um, and you'll see bits, strands of yeast. Um, but yeah, it's, it's incredible, really. How long can you use the scoby for? Forever. As long as you keep it healthy and you keep it giving it some food, um, so that's obviously fresh uh, sugary tea, um, it, it will propagate forevermore. I've, I've, my original one is, is what I have been using for the six years, basically. Wow, that's fascinating. It's like having a pet yeah, as well. It's, it is really good. It is. It's a bit like sourdough. Um, so again, it's, it's keeping a starter. So you've got to keep it healthy. You've got to keep topping it up. And um, yeah, it, it gives... It, 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 well, it gives you nutrients forevermore, um, and which is which is a great thing. Mm. And you are actually running some workshops, aren't you? You've, you've got one in Bath, that you said coming up soon. I do on the eighteenth of March. So um, I run a breathwork and fermentation workshop. It'll be my third ever one, and um, we'll do an hour of breathwork. So talking about the benefits of, of of breath and how to improve it and how to get better at it, just to manage stress and anxiety and and all those sorts of things. And then we go into a step-by-step -step process of making water kefir and, and kombucha and people take home. Um, so water kefir is another fermented beverage, which we haven't spoken about. So take a liter and a half uh, jar of water kefir home and a liter of, of kombucha. Um, and then they can pursue whichever one they want or carry on producing um, both of them at home. Um, so it's, it's troubleshooting, it's a step-by-step -step process. And then I'm available for anything that crops up um, post post-workshop to kind of help out um, if, if anyone needed. That sounds amazing. Well, let's keep on the theme of the the, the beverages and the, the sure. nutrition and the diet. So moving on to, to water kefir then, could you just explain a bit like what you did with the kombucha? What is it? How is it made? What are the benefits? Yeah, so again, it's a fermented beverage. Um, instead of a starter liquid, you actually have, again, a scoby, a symbiotic culturobacterium and yeast, which are little uh, grains. They look like little crystals. Um, and what you do is, is you make a sugary water and you add those grains to the sugary water with a bit of, um, some people use um, lemon and um, you also use dried fruit. I typically just use dried fruit. Dried fruits are just for the nutrients for the grains themselves. I also put a little bit of salt in there as well to provide, um, again, nutrients for the grains to keep them nice and healthy. And that is a rapid ferment. So we're talking um, two to three days and it's ready, um, basically for primary ferment. And then you flavor off the back of that. Um, it's, it's a lot more lighter in, in comparison to kombucha, so it doesn't have that, um, that kind of acidic-y taste. You can, you can ferment until there's very little sugar in it. Um, but it's a lot more lighter in, in, in comparison, and some people like that on the palate. Um, but it, in terms of its benefits, it's, it's providing different um, bacteria and yeast in comparison to the kombucha. So it's actually saying that there's a wider spectrum of bacteria and yeast in, in water kefir in comparison to kombucha. Oh, I didn't know that. Hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a volatile ferment okay. uh, kind of thing. So I've, I've had um, exploding bottles and cans. I, I've decorated a few kitchens... Um, <laughs> Uh, when when I've um, yeah over the years of trying to manage it, it's it's a it's a hard one to manage, um, particularly without either fermenting until there's no sugar and then adding a sweetener, or um, depending on what flavors you use, because most fruits have natural yeasts on them, and of course accessible sugars. So um, that's a word of warning if you're trying to make some at home. Be careful of what you choose. I chose raspberries, which again accessible sugars contains yeast. I'm still trying to get my head around it, but um, but yeah, um, it's been an interesting journey. And have you taught yourself completely, or have you, I mean, you mentioned obviously you went over to um, the alcoholic beer. Um, yeah, most of, most of the, t a lot of it is self-taught, so a trial and error, um, and then um, I've got a real good relationship with a local brewery called Kettlesmiths. And um, the brewer there, whenever I have a particular issue, I kind of ask to pick his brains. But because it's very different to beer, similar but different, 
um, he can only advise and so I try it and see if it works if it doesn't then we move on and try something else so um, I have with water kefir because it's been such a challenging ferment particularly with with the packaging side of things spoken to a lot of brands in America um, and also over in Australia who are being much more open uh, and willing to talk to me about their processes and what they do mm. okay. that's good so part of these workshops you also have the breath work at what point mm. did you go on your journey for want of a better word with breath work why did you get interested in it and why are you hosting a workshop that's combining those things no fine um, so last year I kind of I was aware of breath, um, but I kind of set myself the target of, of becoming qualified as a breathwork instructor last year. <clears throat> the year did escape me, and, and I managed to fit it in um, the latter parts of, of, of the year in September, and, and there were various things to do after the, the course itself, case studies and, and, and homework. Um, I, I became really aware of in, and in tune with it because it's one of the autonomic systems or um, that we can take hold of. So when we're talking about... we. Our body is amazing. Our heart rate, um, kind of, uh, let's say, uh, blood pressure is all autonomically regulated. Digestion and breathing is the one thing that we can kind of grab hold of and benefit from. We live in a chronic uh, stress state, and uh, once um, we can use our breath to bring the parasympathetic side of our autonomic nervous system into balance, incredibly kind of, and it helps with stress and anxiety. So. If you're really stressed, you can basically bring your body uh, out of that stress state. You can prepare for meetings. You can improve performance around sport. Um, and so I was like, let's let's just get qualified and, and want to teach people how to do it. So kind of pursued it, and, and it's been incredible. And the reason why I combine the breath work and the fermentation is because when you think about the gut, it impacts the vagus nerve. And that's same with um, with breathing as we can improve vagal tone and heart rate variability. So it's all interlinked, really. So I thought there's a nice, um, although they're a little bit different, um, they do kind of synergistically help each other, yeah. um, ultimately. And people have come into 2023. We've had January. Maybe people have started these goals. We've set their intentions for the year. Health, wellness, diet exercise you know lifestyle changes are often like number one or you know within the top three of those goals for the year and maybe some people have already found it unsustainable to to keep that going or perhaps as you said we live in a, a chronic high stress um, an epidemic really of of stress we're constantly bombarded aren't we throughout our day if somebody is in that situation where perhaps they have started in January and now into February, they're just struggling, they, they couldn't fit the, the routine in, and maybe they've just self-sabotaged, just quit everything, uh, and now they're in a place where they're just feeling maybe just a bit uh, downbeat, really stressed, as you said, and they could really do with some of these techniques, whether it is an improvement in their their diet whether it is the breath work do you have any advice on how to start again I know you put up on your stories at some point this week about those like small sustainable habits and you know if you have perhaps I don't like the expression of like you know falling off a wagon or um, but maybe if you just found yourself in a situation where you're not prioritizing those essential health and lifestyle uh, you know components into your daily routine then what would you advise people to do yeah i can totally sympathize because um, the latter parts of last year i had a, an amazing morning routine and i loved loved kind of performing it but um life got on top of me and it, and, and it completely fell away and um i would say tomorrow I'll, i'm, I'm going to get back onto it tomorrow my alarm would go off and i wouldn't be able to get out of bed um so these things happen and um and, and that's fine, ultimately. And, and ways to kind of reintroduce them, I suppose, is starting small. So two books I would recommend people read or check out is uh, B.J. Fogg's Tiny Habits and James Clear's Atomic Habits. Um, because fundamentally, we are habits. 95% of our behaviors are habit-driven. 
So it's making sure we're aware of that and bringing that into our conscious environment. So things like if you're trying to reduce alcohol, get it out of sight. So they say <laughs> if, if you want to reduce the amount of beer you drink, put the beer at the back of the fridge. That, that, that small resistance will actually go, you know what, I can't be bothered today, so I won't have a beer. If you want to reduce TV, they'd say about putting your TV in a cabinet or even unplugging it because, again, certain things like that, um, that just that effort because we love the path of least resistance. And um, I think it's starting small. So if we're talking particularly around exercise, they say the act of putting out your clothes the night before kind of reinforces the fact that I want to go out to exercise tomorrow. And again, that's you're reducing the, the need to get up in the dark or whenever you get up to try and find some clothes to then go and exercise they're there you can get changed into them but the very act of actually changing into them again is reinforcing a good behavior so you like you could say right tomorrow my, my goal is to just put my trainers on I want to go for a walk but the goal is to put the trainers on you typically put them on and you're in okay oh I'm, I've got my trainers on why don't I go for a walk it doesn't have to be a huge walk it can be five minutes to begin with and I would recommend people probably use what I call a habit calendar. Hang it somewhere that you can see. And every time you do the desired behavior that you want, you put an X in the box. And once you have that habit streak visible, um, you've kind of reinforced that behavior. You don't want to break the streak. It's incredible psychology. Um, so that's a nice technique. And there's other things like habit stacking. So we know that we do certain behaviors across the course of the day. So maybe putting the kettle on for a cup of tea, um, we can do 10 squats, for example. If it's all movement orientated, of course, it depends on your goals. Or sometimes I, in the past, would, um, every time I go to the loo, uh, I would come out and do 10 press-ups, just to kind of keep moving. Um, and, and I think we all underestimate the impact of walking, particularly if we're looking to lose weight. Um, we know, so when we're looking at the output side of our, um, no, so in is all diet related, so how much food we eat. Output is governed by a number of things. So resting metabolic rate, which is just what what happens when kind of um, living day to day. You then have needs, so non-exercise activity thermogenesis and exercise, and then the thermic effect of feeding. And when we try and reduce our intake, NEAT is one of the things that fluctuates. So our body doesn't want to move away from that set point. So making yourself park in the in the corner of the car park to increase steps, taking the stairs instead of the elevator. All these things would go a long way to help you kind of achieve potential weight loss goals if that is of if that's what you're looking to achieve. Generally, moving more is always beneficial for our bodies anyway, in my opinion. But hopefully, that's a few things that people can try and integrate into the day to day. Yeah, that's great. But it is yeah. hard. Your environment is integral to that as well. So accountability. Find someone that will kind of go, hey, let's go for a walk. Let's go to the gym, um, because. Um, I've yeah I've seen people that are not in the right environment that don't have friends that are pursuing the same interests and goals just it falls away unfortunately because again I think a high percentage I think it's about 75% of our environment uh, of our, our behavior is dictated by environment that kind of thing so just be aware of those sorts of things it's a really important point and I think it's great that you talk about these things because sometimes I think people look at you know you and and others and they think oh they've got it all together they are super motivated they never let their routines fall away it's easy for them but and yes of course we are all in different you know situations we we can't ever walk um, you know a day in anybody else's shoes but at the fundamental level we do have a lot of similarities and we are all human and as you say we have those fundamental drives of actually conserving energy and being tempted by whatever is in front of us, you know, that, that path of least resistance, as you yeah. say, and just even acknowledging that and accepting that and, and speaking about that, I think, is really important. How, how could you deal with a situation where, you know, an individual perhaps just doesn't believe that they can change? Have you seen through your work of, of people who have potentially a, a more fixed mindset in that space because maybe they don't have much experience um, they, don't, they have low self-efficacy because they've not got any you know, mastery experience to draw upon and maybe they've had quite negative experiences in the past when it comes to, to health and lifestyle and then a follow-up to that is can the breath work help with that to regulate then 
the um, parasympathetic nervous systems then perhaps think a little clearer? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, fortunate for me, I've, I've always had a great experience around exercise. It's, it's been part of my life from a very young age and, and, um, and, and I've never had a negative experience. So um, I can... It's tough sometimes for me to put my shoe, my, my feet in other people's shoes that, that have had that negative experience, whether at school or they don't enjoy movement and those sorts of things. But I think fundamentally it's all about finding something that you enjoy. You don't have to go to the gym to get fit. Um, there's many things that you can do um, around that. So it's, and, and we all have the, the abilities to do it, believe it or not. But I think it's just about trying to kind of manufacture an environment that helps you push you towards those things and get exposure to those things so calling on someone maybe that that you kind of aspire to to try and say okay can i come along or can you help me with certain things is always good um i think talking to your friends and family saying i really want to do this and i need your support for this um and i think uh, we all need to probably provide ourselves a little bit of self-compassion um because we live in, a, in a, as they say, an obesogenic kind of environment. Um, highly Moorish foods are around us all the time. And, and it's what you do consistently over the course of the week rather than, um, say, <clears throat> just, oh, I, I overindulge today. Um, it's, it's about, okay, yeah, I did. Let's forget about that and just kind of get back on track tomorrow. And over the course of the week, you could be in a deficit um, if we're talking about weight loss. Um, so very rarely have I dealt with people that are in fixed mindsets because people that typically come to me want to make a change. Um, but believe it or not, you guys do have the abilities to do that um, and you just got to believe in yourself um, kind of thing. Um, and if we're talking about breath work, um, bringing the parasympathetic um, nervous system up, um, it certainly helps um, regulate in that respect and having a clearer mind. So sleep is one of the things that is vital um, for rest recuperation and um, thinking clearly and, and we know that actually nasal breathing during sleep is is integral to the extent that I now tape my mouth to go to sleep really? uh, so every night I put a little bit of microporous tape across my lips um, I don't snore anymore <laughs> I have a great night's sleep in terms of I, I wake up a bit more refreshed I do track just out of interest, I, I, I looked at how my REM sleep, so rapid, rapid eye movement, which is said to be one of the restorative phases of sleep, has improved. Um, I know I wouldn't bank on, on kind of some of the uh, algorithms associated. I've just got a Garmin, um, but it, it shows that, that that's improved and physically I feel better for it. Um, and um, they also say that it reduces cavities, so kind of mouth health, um, but, but I feel great for it, to be fair. Um, so nasal breathing during sleep is, is, is good. It prevents apneas. Um, so that's the breath holding. Um, if you're not aware of that and I'm not like, if I don't wear it, I now wake myself up snoring, which is quite interesting. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, if, if you want to try that, a little bit of uh, microporous tape across the lips, um, seems to help. Yeah. And if people aren't sure what microporous tape is, it's definitely not like the super like, um, <laughs> let's, <No>. let's... <laughs> yeah uh, sometimes yeah it's, it's um uh, it's just the stuff that you use for putting um uh, bandages yeah. on so it, it really breaks easily <laughs> um kind of thing don't forget uh, some people when, when you mention mild taping like oh a bit of bondage i was like yeah. no <laughs> it's not done that right <laughs> let's not be um, yeah yeah so. completely cutting off the, <laughs> the mouth that yeah. that is absolutely fascinating and Aside from doing that, what else would you recommend to individuals if they're interested in breath work? Because there's all kinds of advice out there, isn't there, on box breathing, um, inhaling, yeah. holding your breath, exhaling for a longer period of time. Like, how do people know which one to do, when to do it? Like, uh, how often should they do it? Should it be, you know, prophylactic in that they're, they're doing it to prevent, or should it only be if they are starting to feel anxious or stressed? I think all those situations can benefit from breathing, but um, a, a daily breathing practice, it doesn't have to take over your life, I think is beneficial. 
Um, and so things like, so there's a technique that we use. So the qualification I've got is oxygen advantage, if anyone wants to look into that, uh, uh, set up by a gentleman called Patrick McCowan over in Ireland. And um, he was an asthmatic, and, and, and he, he managed to kind of come off his medication based on these breathing techniques. And um, the reason why we hyperventilate is because of our tolerance to CO2. So th a lot of the stuff within um, Oxygen Advantage is about improving our tolerance to CO2 um, because we have chemoreceptors and baroreceptors in our systems, and these are chemical um, and, and pressure, uh, basically, um, gauges. And we've been breathing upper chest and fast, means that we've got a certain set level of CO2, and therefore, whenever it hits that, we try and breathe it off. Um, but CO2 is fundamental in terms of the exchange of oxygens to our cell. So we're talking about the Bohr effect. And um, also there's another compound called uh, nasal nitric oxide, which we produce in our nose, um, which is a potent vasodilator, but also um, it's antimicrobial. But um, in terms of techniques, so box breathing is used by the military. So that's what it's, it's, it is basically to, to allow um, you to be calm, but also alert. So they use it so you can go for four seconds. So it's breathe in for four seconds, hold for four seconds, breathe out for four seconds and hold for four seconds. You can do that for two minutes and, and it brings a nice balance to the autonomic nervous system. If four seconds is too long, reduce it to three, reduce it to two. Two is quite quick, if I'm totally honest. You can even extend it if you want. Um, other techniques, so we call something called many small breath holds, um, is, is a recovery um, a breathing technique that we use in Oxygen Advantage. And it's if you've got a panic attack coming, all it is is uh, you basically you breathe in and breathe out and hold your nose for five seconds, and then you release and you breathe normally for 10 seconds and repeat that for two minutes. I do that between sets or at the end of a workout to kind of bring my breath down and heart rate down. Um, so that's a nice introductory to breathing. Um, and then things like cadence breathing, so breathing in for four seconds and then breathing out for, for six seconds. So that's activating heart rate variability. It's improving vagal tone. Um, it's also, um, so when we breathe in, our heart rate increases. And when we breathe out, our heart rate decreases. So it's basically signaling to the body that I'm in, a, I'm, I'm safe, I'm calm. Um, and so those little techniques are good. But if we want to push the envelope a little bit more, so if you want to improve our tolerance to CO2, there's techniques called breathe light to breathe right. And um, that's really slowing your breath down to the extent that you're taking really light breaths in and out. And, and that's basically building CO2 in the system. So we're getting used to higher CO2. So you want to get to a point where you want to take a bigger breath, but you don't need to because you're getting enough oxygen in the system to not do that. Um, and so that's another technique we use. And then we can then go to, it's really technical, intermittent hypercapnic hypoxic training. Really kind of technical term to say high carbon dioxide, low oxygen training. And that involves many small breath holds to begin with. You then go for um, a little bit longer where you'll have medium to strong breath holds. So say if we're walking that's probably maybe 15 to 20 steps but it depends on everyone's um, carbon dioxide tolerance and then we go to maximum as far as you can go holding your breath um, and that basically um, increases the likes of um, it, it activates the diaphragm a little bit more so it's fluttering so you're working the diaphragm which is the main breathing muscle um, it also contracts the spleen where we have eight percent of our red blood cell stores it improves oxygen carrying capacity and there's also evidence around release of, of EPO to then generate more red blood cells. But that's really at the high end. The, the lifestyle stuff is the many small breath holds, the breathe light, the cadence breathing, the box breathing, which is really simple to integrate and you don't need to do much of it, to be honest. Thank you for all those um, So breathe, mm. I, I typically sub subscribe breathe light to some clients before sleep mm. um, because it just chills them out, um, to be fair. Um, and, and I've got a, a GB rower who's, d who's doing it. So she says she's sleeping so much better after doing it. I've tried to get her also to tape her mouth, but it, it, she doesn't enjoy it. She struggles with, with that. So it's not for everyone, um, but if that's something you could try out. It's amazing that it also has that knock-on effect to sleep as well, isn't it? Because it's just vital for our overall health, as you were saying. Uh, sleep is a fundamental pillar that we, we should all try and strive to do. And 
there's lots of sleep hygiene stuff around obviously dark rooms cool um, screens uh, things like also waking up at the same time of day consistently I don't know if you've ever heard a term, term called social jet lag so we tend to extend our social life on the weekends and come Monday we feel knackered because we've kind of shifted our body clock a little bit more and it's just this perpetual cycle that we keep on doing week in week out so I try and, and get up at even on the weekends the same time of day um, even if I've had a, a rubbish or longer night sleep like if I've been up late I try and even get up there because then I'll sleep better the next night for example mm. um, kind of thing so it's fascinating do you find through anybody you work with where this has almost backfires whereby you're, you're obviously trying to implement these breathing techniques to calm them down to improve their CO2 tolerance to get other biological improvements as well as the, the mental and emotional regulation and then improving the sleep but it actually makes them potentially more anxious because they're then overthinking it or if they don't manage to get the that night's sleep and they don't go to bed at that time then they then just sort of panic in their head has that ever happened I personally haven't had that but I can see it happening we we, we see that with fitness trackers mm. and um various other things. Why are you tracking your sleep? Why are you tracking your fitness? Is there a particular goal that you're looking to kind of achieve? Because if not, I went through a phase of tracking everything I did from a fitness or, or exercise point of view. I was like, what is the point? I'm not training for anything in particular. Am I trying to boast to people that I'm, I'm walking at five in the morning? Possibly it's an ego thing, but it didn't need to be done. So I was like, right, I'm, go I'm doing this for myself. No one else needs to know mm -hmm. about it. Um, and so I can see how anxieties can increase when you're not, oh, I need to do this, I need to do that. And that's why having small little practices that can fit into your day is beneficial rather than having this audacious kind of, I've got to do this because if I don't, then, yeah, I'm a bad person, for example, but you're not. Yeah, that, um, that judgment then comes in, doesn't it? And the comparison and the guilt and talking about the ego and maybe doing things either for your own personal ego to show off or maybe to, to post on Instagram. I feel like recently we have obviously seen, which is great, a lot more people talking about breath work and the importance of it. Yeah. And you have to be careful, don't you, to to not associate moral judgment with that and somebody being superior and almost putting them on a pedestal. And another thing that I've definitely sure. noticed, particularly this time of year, is is the cold water, the wild swimming people talking a lot more around cold showers in the morning and again we know there's evidence behind there we know there's research we know there's a benefit but sometimes it does swing depending on which account and who's talking about it into this kind of you need to be doing this like almost like I take cold baths you know like again like the ego so you know what's your thoughts on that because I know you're somebody who chooses that yeah I, I I mean, I, I discovered cold water swimming probably about two and a bit years ago. Um, being from Africa, you would think I, I actually I hated the winters here in the UK when I first came over. You called me Michelin Man when I played rugby. Every layer uh, on, and I would just be grumpy as anything. Um, but but it's been eye opening. So I swim with a group called Icebreakers. It's a men's only group centered around cold water exposure, but also a safe place for men to open up. We've got 120 members, um, and it's a free free to attend group. So if, again, if anyone's within the, the Wiltshire, Somerset area that wants to come along, we swim twice a week in the River Avon, Wednesdays at 6.30 in the morning and, and Sundays at 8 o'clock. Um, but it's been fascinating watching it kind of facilitate and help people with anxiety, with depression, um, with recovery, and, 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 and also pain. Now, I'm not saying it's for everyone. There have been particular members that have come along and not enjoyed it, and that's fine. And when we talk about kind of, I suppose, mental health um, in particular, they talk about it being like a leaky tyre. So we need to constantly top it up um, because we think when we get there, we're going to be happy. So having little things in, a in our day that we know build us up or pick us up, a chat with a, a mate, a lovely coffee, being mindful when you're doing X, Y, and Z. Uh, maybe going for uh, having a, a cold shower in the morning um, or, a, or a swim in, in nature. If we think about cold sw swimming in particular, there is more evidence that's needed and is coming out. Um, 
There's an amazing podcast by Dr. Chatterjee. I can't remember the scientist's name. She did a PhD on cold and hot exposure um, and, and saw things like improvements in brown, brown fat generation, so that's fat cells, which is the active fat over and above the dormant fat, which is white. Um, but um, if we look at it fundamentally, I'm, I'm getting out into nature, so it's green space. I'm also getting into water, which is blue space. And I'm also in, in a community. Um, so I'm having that connection. I'm also exercising, so I'm walking from my car down a big hill onto the riverbank. Um, so there's loads of other things above and beyond, beyond the cold water exposure that, that I'm benefiting from. Um, when it comes to the water, we used to say a minute per degree. Now that's... It's, it's, non, it's nonsensical because everyone responds to cold very differently. It depends on your hydration, it depends on your stress levels, sleep, all those sorts of things. So once you've got over the initial shock, you've actually got all the benefits of the cold and you don't need to endure it. Um, whereas like some people go in there going, oh yeah, I can do 20 minutes. In actual fact, that's a little bit of ego getting in there because there's no need to do that particularly to get the benefits from it so we said right come in no egos if you want if you get too cold get out because hypothermia is not an enjoyable thing and you've got the cold drop um afterwards so if you've been in it for too long you're actually going to drop even further once you start trying to get warm um so um but it it, it has been amazing it's not for everyone um but what i would recommend is give it at least three attempts um to know because the first one is is horrible <laughs> the second one you know what you what you what you, you get you're coming to which again you might be a little bit kind of worried about but by the third you kind of got okay this this is this is quite nice i've got used to it there is pain i'm not gonna lie my hands and feet are sore um but it's that shared like achievement mm. i've got over this hard thing and we think about life we we are quite comfortable we can turn a dial we can turn a dial up and down and and we get hot or cold um, and all those sorts of things. So it's it's just improving that resilience. And I, I just think it's it's been incredible watching it facilitate and help um, the men men of the of the icebreaker community kind of thing. I love that community aspect and everything that you spoke about there. First and foremost, before you mentioned the potential be benefits and the evidence there, and and how you brought in those yeah. other nature aspects. Because yeah, I think a lot of people don't consider that, do they? Would you? recommend initially to start in a shower situation before moving to you know a river or a lake or open water or not necessarily yeah i mean there's nothing wrong with trying it in a shower um particularly at maybe at the end of a shower so they say there was a there was a research piece that showed that 30 seconds cold shower reduced the illness illness rates within um, um a particular demographic workers actually um well just reduced illness rates um of course, it's not as intense. It changes the psychology of it all, I must admit. I think um, sometimes it feels a little bit harder in the shower because you're not, um, you're not like, you, you, you're purposely going to a river, whereas in, in the shower, you can, I can easily just turn it back to, to cold. So the psychology aspect of it is, is quite interesting. But it, obviously, it depends if you've got access to nature or to a cold, cold plunge. So if, if, if a bath or a, or a shower is all you have, then that's good enough, to be honest, to get started. Um, and then you can kind of build from there. Um, some people maybe go for 10 seconds to begin with, and then you can increase the time as you get a little bit used to it. But yeah, just stick at it for at least three attempts. But if you don't enjoy it, you don't enjoy it. And, and don't beat yourself up about it because it seems everyone's doing it, but um, it's okay if you don't, to be honest. Yeah, we're all different, aren't we? And we're not all going to have the, the same likes and, and preferences for the things that we do. You're right. that, um, But if you can find that community and that connection, as you said, through the icebreakers and, and get those additional benefits of the support, a chance to chat to somebody, uh, have a cup of coffee afterwards, you know, and, and breakfast, or just be out in nature and in the green space seeing animals and wildlife, then, you know, that's incredible in and of itself, isn't it? Um, so I think... Yeah, and... The, the other thing the cold does is actually get you out of your mind. Mm. It's the mental chatter. I, I tell you what, once you get in the cold, all you can think <laughs> about is the cold. Yeah. Um, so it's just a complete reset. 
um, which is which is awesome. So that's one of the aspects I forgot to mention. Yeah, you're very much present in that moment, aren't you? There's no thinking about anything else. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I, um, um, but yeah, community the community is big. So. Yeah. I don't know if you know um, Joel Domit, the co- comedian, the stand-up guy. Okay, yeah, he's, yeah. He um, obviously does his own stand-up, but he's often a guest on A League of Their Own. And I just saw okay. a clip, he's got a podcast with his wife, and I think he'd bought one of these um, blow-up versions for the garden. <laughs> obviously kind of like a yeah. paddling pool, but obviously much, much smaller, almost like a barrel. Um, and, you know, he's yeah. telling her that he's, he's bought this and... It's ridiculous, and the next clip is just like <laughs> him in the garden. It's just pitch black, and yeah, it's it's quite amusing. Amazing. Yeah, um, the, yeah, they, but they they can be um, fairly economical, and there's the higher end at like five thousand pounds, which is which is crazy to think about. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I've seen a lot more businesses popping up as well, kind of creating these you know, experiences where people mm-hmm. can obviously go as a group and and try it. Which is which is good because sometimes um, there can be a little bit um, a, a worry around it, and, and there is ways of kind of breathing as you get in and warming up and those sorts of things. But incredibly, actually, I didn't mention there's a, an organisation in the UK called I think it's called Calm.org, and they set up for eight swims, um, sea swims for tackling depression and anxiety. Um, and um, yeah, uh, there's a guy called. Dr. Mark Harper, I interviewed him a little while back, um, and he he wrote a book called the I think it's called the cold the cold water cure it's called, mm-hmm. um, which is which is really enjoyable read. Uh, all very um, n equals one, so yeah. individual case studies on themselves rather than kind of scientific uh, proof. But but yeah, that very cool to check out mm. for sure. I'll definitely link everything, and I think there's another account I saw on Instagram called, called Mental Health Swims. Mental Health Swims, yeah. yeah. He, he, he mentions her in oh, his okay. book. Um, yeah. And I think she went to one of the, the kind of swims and then said, oh, I need to take this back to Wales, I think. That's brilliant, um, isn't it? Is How you then see yeah. that knock-on effect of communities then popping up because like, everyone doesn't have access, do they, to the sea or to a lake or a river. Mm-hmm. If you live in central London or you know in a city, an urbanised area, you, you might not have the means to do it. Yeah, for sure. And Icebreakers have just got its first chapter in Brighton. Uh-huh. So we've got the kind of vision of, of having Icebreaker chapters across the course of the, uh, across the UK and, and training them in Qigong and cold water and mental health advocacy. And um, we had our first chapter open in, in, in Brighton, which is amazing. So hopefully we'll get a couple more over the course of, of the years to come. Oh, brilliant. Um, well, the last thing I just want to you know really finish on is how... Through everything that you've done and spoken about today, from icebreakers, the cold water, swimming to um, you know the kombucha to uh, water, kefir uh, to the to the breath work, is that underpinning everything is not just an individualistic approach and like self compassion and you know mental and emotional well being and non judgment, but also really giving back to other people or to the community. And I know that part of um, Hanora Health has a foundation. You mentioned you were from Africa, Zimbabwe, right? That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. And part of the foundation has links to your upbringing. It does. Um, my nan, uh, unfortunately, she got murdered in 2008 um, on the farm in Zimbabwe, um, the political uprising um, there. And, um, yeah, kind of in her name, she was, she was, was, she was a pillar of the community. Um, she loved helping out and so um, just to kind of remember uh, I created a foundation to kind of give back and do good with um, ultimately so that fits within within the brand and mm. and um, yeah kind of helping projects um, whether they're here in the UK or, or abroad um, it, it, it is, is ultimately a passion of mine um, kind of thing so um, or, or with, with Nan in mind kind of thing. That's really lovely and you can really see how that's spread out through everything that you, you're doing so yeah, I'm like really so impressed, and we need more people like you in the world in the health and, and fitness, well-being, wellness sphere. Because um, yeah, I think the world would be a lot kinder and, and nicer place if if we had more of you. So so thanks for us um, 
before we go, um, where can people find you? Like, I'll obviously tag everything, but what are your kind of main websites? Uh, where can they buy the, you know, the kombucha? Is it online only, etc.? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm, I'm in Wiltshire, um, so, but the website is henorahealth.co.uk. And then kind of main uh, main social media channels is Instagram. I am on Twitter and, and, and TikTok, <laughs> trying to get used to a little bit of TikTok. Um, but um, but yeah, typically I'm uh, regular updates on, on Instagram. Um, but people can order online and um, just a, a number of, um, I suppose, farm shops locally and delis and cafes stock the product. I don't make a lot of, a, a lot of it. Um, so um, I haven't got loads of stockists, but um, I'm going to upscale a little bit more um, in the coming months. So I've got a little bit more stock. But, um, but yeah, online is probably the easiest if you're not in wheelchair. Um, and if you are, I tend to try and like delivering it to the individuals that buy it in and around kind of the bath area, which is always nice. Um, but yeah. Brilliant. And I hope that the workshop on the 18th goes well. Are there still some spaces if people want to Thank book you. on? There are, yeah. Um, so I try and keep it to about 10 members. Um, so there's probably about five tickets left. Um, but um, because I like it, it's nice and intimate. If it gets above 10, you then get, I don't know, it just socially doesn't, it, it seems to upset the balance a little bit. So 10 is a real nice number. So there's a, probably about five tickets left. Um, so um, I can share the, the, it's on Eventbrite under Honora House, a breath and fermentation workshop. Um, it's in Cassia at a lovely co-working space in Bath. Just um, just on the river there. So. Oh, nice, perfect setting. Yeah. yeah, no, it's beautiful there. Well, thank you ever so much for your time. I've really appreciated it. No problem. Thanks for having me on. And hopefully, speak soon. And we won't leave it ten years. <laughs> <laughs> Look forward to it. Thanks, Ross. Cheers, eh?